The Athletic. from Jorginho, well recovered by Ariza Balaga, still the danger oh. remains, and Arsenal have scored. Wow. It's Emil Smith-Rowe who scored, but it was presented to them by Jorginho. I have the feeling it was too many changes. We, we broke the rhythm of the guys who did fantastic in Man City and there was no need because we had three days in between the match. There was absolutely no need to do this. So uh, maybe me, myself, we, we thought too much about uh, saving, about sharing the workload to arrive with everybody for Saturday. This is Straight out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this bonus episode, Georgini, oh no, as Blues pass up Arsenal opportunity. And there are two cup finals to preview as Wembley and Gothenburg await. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham. Hello listener, Matt Davis-Adams here to talk you through the latest Chelsea news in the company of Liam Toomey. Hello, the Arsenal hoodoo is back. Sure is. Uh, Simon Johnson's also with us. What did I say about Chelsea should beat Arsenal? (laughs) (laughs) Never Um, again. Yeah. Uh, Dominic Fifield's also here. Hi, Dom. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Mm, so so uh, I've got to be honest here's a tweet from Jim Boyd who simply says cancel this pod please and let's never speak of the game again uh, before we go then Simon what have you got lined up for athletic subscribers <laughs> <laughs> uh, my resignation <laughs> right uh, we've got to do it I'm afraid later we'll preview the FA Cup and Women's Champions League finals first though we do need to talk about Arsenal Chelsea nil, Arsenal won at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night then. Um, that was annoying, wasn't it? Jorginho's baffling back pass, the headline act of what was a performance bereft of the qualities we've been so impressed by in recent weeks. It means the situation in the top four fight is thus. Chelsea six points clear of fifth place West Ham who have a game in hand. Seven ahead of Liverpool who still have four to play starting tonight as we record at Manchester United. Uh, Liam, you were in attendance at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday, as was I. Uh, was it inevitable that a, a performance like this was coming after after so many big efforts over the last few weeks, or am I being a bit too generous? I don't know, really. Um, I think it was just... Well, Tuchel said afterwards he thought he'd made too many changes, didn't he? And the kind of message that he thought that had sent to his players. It was just quite clear early on, from the moment Havertz missed that chance that it was probably going to be quite a long evening. And then uh, I need to train myself to to look up from my keyboard more when teams are playing out from the back because increasingly in the Premier League, that is the most dangerous time in a football match because um, everyone presses high and tries to win the ball in the final third. And I, I wasn't looking in real time when Jorginho made that pass because I just assumed it was fine. And watching the replay, it was just absolutely... Obviously, a scandalous sequence of events. And it was just two bad mistakes, one at each end. One from Havertz, one from Kepa Jorginho. And Chelsea made that game incredibly difficult for themselves. And yes, they still had the chances to maybe, you know, get a draw or maybe even win it. But when you get yourself into situations like that, you can't be surprised if you end up losing. Uh, Dom, I know you do a little bit of, of coaching of kids' football teams. I'm sure one of the things that you pass on to them is if you pass it back to the goalkeeper, don't do it between the posts. It, it seems a, an absurdly obvious thing to do and a, a very strange mistake. And, and I felt really sorry for Kepper because he made a brilliant save to start with, but uh, all for naught. Yes, 
Um, what really struck me about it was the way Jorginho reacted because he plays the pass and rather than sort of running back and and uh, attempting to re- rectify his error, particularly once he's seen that the the player's been forced wide, he's he's still standing still with his head in his hands virtually, and he only sort of belatedly darts towards the line and and. By then, Smith Rowe's shot has been deflected into the corner. Um, so I think he was he was doubly. I mean, I, can, I, look, I can understand his reaction because he's so shocked at the error that he's made, and and, and I think he genuinely thought. I don't know whether he misplaced the pass or whether he just hadn't quite gauged where Kepper was standing. Tuca was honest on that. You play to his right foot, you're fine, whether you're in between the posts or not. Kepper's comfortable enough on the ball to deal with with that situation, but. It was just a, a catalogue of errors, but look, that's yes, that is why they lost the game. But actually, they had plenty of chances to redeem that error. They had plenty of opportunities. They won the XG comfortably. Well, they won the XG isn't that worth a point? One point seven nine to zero point six four. They should have won it. They should have won the game regardless. That's the bottom line. But but. I mean, it would be easy to sit here and say, well, that this is what happens when Chelsea fall behind in games, but they fell behind at, at the Etihad Stadium a few days earlier and came back and won. So it's it was just one of those nights. Too many changes, too much disruption, a lack of rhythm, silly mistakes at both ends of the pitch. And uh, even a team like Arsenal can capitalise on errors like that. Simon, Thomas Tuchel, for the first time, really, I think, quite quite critical of his, his players and, and, in fairness, in critical of his own decision-making as well. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how those how those players react to that criticism of them. But but it was justified, wasn't it? He made, he made seven changes and a lot of those players who came in underperformed. Yeah, I mean, they might, they might not get a chance to react for a while, some of them, because um, they didn't take their opportunity... I thought it's very easy, of course, to always refer to the West Brom game as the nadir of the Tuchel era, but but there was definitely shades of the West Brom performance. Again, the same sort of weaknesses in terms of attitude and intensity. Um, It was very sloppy first 20 minutes, which was sort of encapsulated by the Havertz miss and and the own goal itself. and Not the own goal, but it felt like an own goal. I hasten to add, and it's a piece I'm quickly writing, um, which might be out by the time the podcast's out. I didn't realise, but it was covered by Optus Sports coverage with uh, Glenn Hoddle and Ian Wright in the studio. Kurt Zuma's role was very significant in what Jorginho then eventually did. And there is an issue with Kurt Zuma when the ball's at his feet. He's the weakest centre-back when the ball's at his feet. And he had options. He had two occasions where he could have passed it quite comfortably to other people. And for some reason, on both occasions, he passed it to Jorginho. The first time, Jorginho quickly plays it back to him as he's being pressed by Arsenal. And then Zuma does it again, except this time Smith-Rowe is a lot closer to to Jorginho, who then makes the the badly hit back pass. I, I just it, it's hard to be too critical of, of Chelsea because of the run they've been on, but it, it did feel like their minds were elsewhere. Wembley, perhaps they got a little bit carried away with the win at Man City, thinking that the job was done, 
oh, here comes Arsenal, they're hopeless, they've got nothing to play for. It just didn't feel like the London derby. It didn't feel like they they respected the occasion. And also, it just showed that when there's certain people not in this team, the sort of real inspirational leaders, Rudiger and Conte, by the way he plays, that perhaps there is a... It just shows the, the weakness that, that still exists, the soft underbelly, and how crucial those two men are for the FA Cup final and the Champions League final. Just as well I didn't sell him, eh? <laughs> Let it go. Have you watched Frozen? <laughs> um, on that issue, by the way, Andrew asking, did tonight finally put to bed why Tuchel has his untouchables and why he settled on his core 13? Everyone calling for Timo to get dropped should probably look at the results when he doesn't start versus when he does, uh, which I think is is a good point. Here's another one from, from Mentat, uh, which is coming to us via Twitter. I'll, I'll put it to you, Liam. He, Mentat says, how much of what happened is on Tuchel's substitutions, especially the bizarre choice of taking Gilmore off for hudson Adoy brackets, who did absolutely nothing, close brackets. Uh, Liam, Gilmore uh, and the decision to withdraw him and his future was the subject of your post-match piece. Yeah, I was actually preparing to write about Gilmore anyway, and it was strangely perfect for the piece that he was brought off at half-time in the circumstances in which that whole decision transpired. Um, I didn't have a ton of problems with Chelsea starting eleven, to be honest. Um, the one change I might have made was to give Hudson-Odoi a start after his good cameo against Manchester City, but he wasn't effective when he came off the bench. Um, I think it was more just about player performance than the actual team that Tuchel picked but he the the decision to substitute Gilmore was both galling I could you know I could understandably galling to many Chelsea fans but also completely in keeping with the Abramovich era you know you've got one guy who is a proven performer in in big moments in Jorginho at least under this coach a player this coach implicitly trusts and a 19 year old who is very very talented but does not have that same track record. Um, so when adversity hits and you're chasing a game, he, he was always going to pick Jorginho on a bad day over Gilmore having a better one. And I thought he was actually good in the first half. He was he, he was snapping passes around. He actually enabled Chelsea to get a foothold after they went a goal down and really pin Arsenal back and probe them in that low block. And when they when he came off and the formation changed, I actually thought Chelsea struggled to control the game as well. Um, even though Arsenal didn't threaten to counter-attack very much, they 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 kind of they didn't have quite the same zip in possession at times. But that's the decision Tuchel made. He, he he insisted afterwards that you know it was nothing against Gilmore. He likes him as a player, but he he clearly doesn't trust him enough to play him enough minutes. And the gist of my piece was that you know I've had conversations with people in, who with knowledge of the situation, and I think this summer if he cannot get assurances from Tuchel that he can play more next season, and he certainly doesn't feel entitled to them, but if he doesn't get them, then I think a Premier League loan is probably the most likely outcome for Gilmore. Uh, just on, on the justification uh, for why why it happened, Thomas Tuchel said this, we saw they defended deep and wanted to have Mason, who has a better shot from 18 metres to be more dangerous from distance, have an offensive player like Mason there. It wasn't that Billy was bad, we just wanted an offensive change. Um, Simon, my, my thought on that was, Chelsea seem to lose a lot when Mason Mount goes into that that withdrawn role, and I'm sort of surprised that 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 hasn't 
that hasn't been realised by Thomas Tuchel and, and Frank Lampard yet. It, it takes away quite a lot from from Chelsea. Yeah, he, he's he's very good number eight, but playing in a deeper role, he, he's not going to get into the same positions as he does. And he and his game has really taken off even more since he's been played as one of the number tens. Um, Chelsea did were a lot worse in the second half. It it, it was a I wasn't happy with the Gilmore sub either. Um, I felt it was very shades of Southampton away, uh, where Callum Hudson Odoi was was the full guy, and and there just does seem to be a bit of a pattern starting to develop that obviously Tuchel's done a wonderful job, but when Chelsea are playing badly, it looks like he tends to make the easier decisions of taking off the young kid rather than, for me, if you were to pick the player that should have come off in that first half, it was Jorginho. But would you make that brave call You know, when you've got the big games that are coming up and do you want to upset a senior member of the squad? It's a lot easier to upset a younger member of the squad. Um, and then what made it worse is, of course, the second half, Chelsea got worse. And, and I thought Gilmore was controlling midfield. And Jorginho didn't really justify staying on the pitch with his second half performance either. But of course, Hudson Adoy, it it's a real sort of double-edged sword, this. Without minutes, you can't really be surprised that Hudson Adoy and Giroud looked completely off the pace as they've barely played the last few months. But at the same time, if you're given a rare opportunity, you've got to take it. And neither of them did. And Unfortunately for them, there's so few games remaining that it's going to be difficult for them to uh, get more minutes, I think, because the Aston Villa game, for example, which may have been an easy easy run out for them, is is now could be a, a do or die in terms of the top four race. And, uh, and Tuchel's going to go with his tried and tested, I would have thought. He does get a pass, I suppose, Dom, doesn't he, Thomas Tuchel, because of what he's done so far. But, but it did seem fairly obvious given the way that the game was going to put Olivier Giroud on earlier and put crosses into the penalty area and, and there were a couple of instances where the ball went into the near post before he came on and you thought you've got probably the best player in England at getting across that near post and finishing those chances you need more than kind of 20 minutes don't you to impact a game when especially when like as Simon said you've not played very much football of late yeah you do but it but I think you've answered your own question there I mean he's he's not he, he, he's he's rusty. Whenever you bring him on, he's going to be rusty. So, yeah, if you bring him on slightly sooner, then then he gets more minutes on the pitch, and he might he might find some rhythm. But but if he's if he's rusty, he's rusty. He may not have the, the desired effect. I mean, I, he's been underused. He clearly isn't the future for Chelsea at number nine, and 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 Chelsea would rather use other options up top. So, I mean, I, I, I'm. I'm sort of surprised at the sort of the, the tone of this. This is this is, I know I know it's sort of added a, a bit more angst, but it it has it hasn't changed that much. I really don't. I mean, do we are we suddenly thinking that Liverpool are going to suddenly pluck some some kind of consistency after the worst season in living memory from in their last four fixtures? And one of them's at home to Crystal Palace for God's sake. There's three <laughs> points to the mighty Eagles. Have you ever seen that? I mean, it's it's. I don't want to get. I don't think we should get carried away with this. This, this has been a. A draining run of games. I know Tuchel wouldn't wouldn't use that as an excuse. And fair play to him. I thought his post match stuff yesterday was excellent. Really honest. I thought he came across right. He blamed himself. He blamed he blamed the players and he blamed the team and 
because they had handed Arsenal that victory. The only thing I didn't like was him saying that that uh, it was completely undeserved for for Arsenal. No victory in the Premier League is undeserved. You, you, if you take the chance and you, you're more ruthless than the opposition, then you deserve the victory. But I, I thought he was brilliant generally post-match. <sighs> he's been brilliant ever since he's come. One slip after the adrenaline rush of winning at Manchester City and with an FA Cup final to come in a few days' time and a Champions League final to come in a few weeks' time, I don't think we should... I don't think this should be downbeat. I just think <laughs> these things happen. The, the the response after the last poor performance against West Brom was fairly emphatic. I imagine the response at this weekend will be fairly emphatic as well. And then suddenly we're all sitting there saying, oh, Tuchel is a genius after all. Well, he, look, we know he's bloody good and he'll get it right. And it's just one of those things. It's a, It's been a crippling schedule and these things take their toll. The Premier League is a brutal division. If you don't take your chances, you don't get the points. And they didn't. I do find it quite amusing that people are just assuming that that we're going to get peak Liverpool over this last month of the season. Um, They've won two of their last six and one of their final four games is away at Manchester United. Three of them are actually away from home. So the idea, maybe it just speaks to the fatalism of some Chelsea fans, but the idea that Liverpool are going to go four from four and really turn the screw on Chelsea in this top four race don't you think the tone of this podcast has been downbeat, though, Liam? I yeah, mean, but that's because yeah, I'm that's here. Just Simon. Tired and Simon, <laughs> Simon. Simon's, Simon's just looked in the mirror. But I mean, come on. It's, 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 let's... No, I'm looking at you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think it's. I think that. I think the tone and the tone. It was the same in my Q and A after the Arsenal game. I think the tone is worse because it's Arsenal, and there's a there's a lot of frustration from Chelsea supporters that Arsenal are a greatly diminished force. And Chelsea repeatedly lower themselves to Arsenal's level when they play them. It was exactly what happened in that game. So I I think that's where the frustration comes from. And I think there is also fatalism in a certain element of the Chelsea fan base that's always been there. Probably exists in every fan base. But I just find the Liverpool side of it quite funny because no one in this top four race has been particularly consistent. That is why Chelsea have managed to get into the position they're in from so far back because everyone in front of them has just been dropping points left, right and centre. So what the the tricky thing now, I think, people are talking about that Aston Villa game now meaning something. I think the trickier game is Leicester, Saturday to Tuesday again, after the FA Cup final. There's a big risk that even if Chelsea win the FA Cup final, there's a risk that that game becomes quite tricky for both teams, not just for not just for Chelsea, but surely Chelsea are in a better position to cope with that game on Tuesday than Leicester City are. I mean, they should be twice yeah. as big. Yeah, of course, of course, they should be. But I mean, depends whether the squad players play as they did against Arsenal. Or not. <laughs> it depends if Leicester City squad players. Play. I mean, it's you know, come on. I, I just think I just think momentum is is uh, particularly at the back end of the season is not something to be messed with, and it could go either way. But for argument's sake. Say if Chelsea lose the cup final against Leicester, you suddenly go into that Leicester game with an awful lot of pressure on on the team. I, I just think Leicester I, be going into that game drunk if they win the cup, cup yeah. final. Come on, <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Um, now I know where you're coming from, Dom, and it, and, it, and it's good. It's good to sort of have the the upbeat side. You know, because it, it could just be a you know just a little a little dip. But I I just thought Chelsea missed a bit of an open goal there to make life a bit easier for themselves in the last few weeks, particularly when, as Tuchel himself admitted after the game, he's worrying about players in the sort of 
in the red zone, getting injuries, etc. There is a danger now that instead of being able to rest his key players at Villa Park, for example, he's going to have to play his full-strength team. Obviously, if results go their way, then they might not have to. But I, I just thought that was a real opportunity missed because that is one of the worst Arsenal teams I've seen for years. And they've beaten Chelsea home and away. It's incredible. They, 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 they've done something that the Invincibles last did. And you can't <laughs> compare these two sides. I mean, fair play to Arsenal. They worked, they worked hard. They, they, they were dogged and all that. But apart from the goal, I'm, I'm struggling to remember them even sort of laying a glove on, on Chelsea. And it, it just felt a bit of a self-inflicted wound. And I think that's why I, I, I'll, I'm responsible for this downbeat podcast. I think that's why I'm feeling a bit, there. Yeah, it's a bit, bit of a rubbish uh, way to lose. Well, it's good to get both perspectives uh, on it. And Chelsea's task hasn't changed from what it was before the game against Arsenal kicked off six points from their remaining Premier League games. will guarantee them a top four finish. Uh, well, as we've become accustomed to, there isn't much of a rest for Chelsea between games. The next one's a biggie. We'll look ahead to Saturday's FA Cup final imminently. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Chelsea versus Leicester City in the FA Cup final gets underway at a quarter past five UK time on Saturday. Usually there's a lot of guff spoken in the build-up about how Cup final day used to be way better back in the day. But given there'll be 21,000 actual supporters allowed into Wembley to support their teams, it's hard to imagine this year's won't feel like the most special final in some time. This is, of course, a competition which has treated Chelsea very well in recent years. Chelsea, Chelsea. This time, Frank Lampard! Oh! Pick that up! Frank Lampard blasts Chelsea into the lead for the first time. And is that the winning goal in this season's FA Cup final? And there goes the final whistle. And Chelsea have won the cup. Having 
come from behind twice at Wembley and behind here at Old Trafford tonight after Mick Jones had put Leeds ahead in the first half. A terrific goal from Peter Osgood made it 1-1. A chance for Chelsea to take the lead. Here's Azard, he scores, he sends De Gea the wrong way and he runs over to the Manchester United fans and celebrates. He always had De Gea's number there. Lampard, spearing with some ease. Drogba, next place for the shot, he does! And Drogba, yet again, yet again at Wembley. He calls it his lucky ground, but there's no luck about that. Uh, Dom, you'll have enjoyed some FA Cup final successes for Chelsea during your time covering the club. Are there any in particular that stand out? God, that's a good question. They, they, they win it so often, they all sort of merge into one. Um, and I say that as a sort of jealous supporter of a, of a rival club that's never won it. But, they, I mean, I think the period around around the Ancelotti years in particular, I enjoyed when he when he won the double and he and he, he beat, was it Portsmouth yeah. at home? Um, it wasn't a great game, but it was, it, it the mood around Chelsea at the time was so good and so upbeat. That made that fairly special afternoon and occasion. I remember the, the, the celebrations that they were great and, and, and really testament to the, to the job that he'd done that year. And probably the closest Chelsea have come to the sort of expansive attacking football that we all hear Abramovich craves so much, uh, the number of goals they scored that season. But we're talking way back. They make such a habit of it. I'm intrigued. This is a sort of the first meeting between Tuchel and Rodgers. And, and, and I think that will be, I think that'd be fascinating to see how they both cope with that. Not least because they play again a few days later. And it's, yeah, whenever N'Golo Conte comes up against Leicester City, that, that in itself is a little subplot. But it should be it should be a really good game and so good to see supporters coming back in. Yeah, can't wait for that. Uh, Dom's going to leave us now to cheat on us with another podcast. But thank you very much for your company today anyway. Best of luck on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can- almost sounded sincere. <laughs> Um, Liam, you got you got very fond memories of of Chelsea FA Cup finals. In particular, nineteen ninety seven was a big one for you. Yeah, I was in the stands um, watching as a kid, pretty much on the halfway line opposite the Royal Box, so an absolutely perfect view to miss Roberto Di Matteo's forty two second goal um, because I was still looking down at the program. Uh, which was a good good practice for a career of looking down at my keyboard when important things happen. Um, but I didn't actually see that goal until I got home because we, we'd recorded it on the TV as well and watched watched it all back. I, I heard the ball thud into the net. Um, but that was an, an incredible day. And the, uh, and the old Wembley was a fantastic stadium as well. Um, it was great to it was great to get a chance to go see those two towers. Um, and that grand old stadium. So I've, I've I've seen Chelsea win the FA Cup at a full old Wembley and a full new Wembley, which is which is pretty cool. Um, my other fond um, FA Cup final memory, a bit more recent, the year they won it under Conte, um, twenty eighteen. Eden Hazard was you know decided that final as he often decided big games for Chelsea. And then in the post-match celebrations, I noticed Conte make a beeline for Willian and absolutely shower him in champagne. And what I suspected was not pure celebration. Um, and then, of course, Willian's daughter, podcast listeners can't see me making the inverted <laughs> commas, Mark, um, got her revenge by blocking Conte out of the celebration picture with trophy emojis. That, that to me, was a uniquely Chelsea moment. 
snatching snatching controversy from the jaws of triumph. <laughs> uh, Simon, uh, here's something to to make you feel optimistic. 2011-12 was the first season that I started working for Chelsea TV, and they won the FA Cup and the Champions League. And that 2012 <laughs> final was one that you mentioned when we were talking about this on the group chat, and, and I'd forgotten actually the significance of that Petacek save. Yeah. And, I, and I watched it again, and it was absolutely astonishing. One one of the great cup final saves. Very sort of underrated, sort of not talked about enough. Well, not just one of the best saves in FA Cup final history, but just one of the greatest saves I've ever seen. It was from six yards out. Andy Carroll got all his meaty head behind it, and and Carroll's one of the finest headers of a ball. You know, he's got a lot of critics out there, but he's a mighty fine header of a ball when he was playing regularly. He can head a ball harder than any of us can kick it. <laughs> and 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 Czech, you know, has somehow managed to tip it onto the bar. From it was an amazing save and, and a really important one because whilst Chelsea had seemed to be cruising to get another FA Cup win, Ramirez opened the score in the first half. Then Drogba, as he often did at Wembley, as he always did at Wembley, scored a goal. Um, and it looked like the cup was in the bag, and then suddenly Carroll comes on, scores, and all the momentum was Liverpool. And if that had gone in, you have to say that, that Liverpool would have been the favourites to go on and win that. So it was a it was a massive, massive save. And of course, you know, it, it did sort of lift lift Chelsea for what they went on to achieve a couple of weeks later in uh, in Munich. And and Chelsea would be hoping that history repeats itself. In terms of 2021 then, Liam, here's a question from Addy asking, what's the nature of Kovacic's injury? He's been out for so long. Any chance he'll make it for the FA Cup final? It's one of those worrying ones, isn't it, where initially, oh, it'll only be a couple of days, then it's a couple more days, then it's a couple of weeks. It would be very surprising if he was risked, certainly from the start on Saturday, wouldn't it? Yeah, you can't rush hamstring injuries. You can't run if your hamstring isn't right. So it's ready when it's ready, unfortunately. And that and that makes it very frustrating um, for coaches, very frustrating for fans, but particularly given how well Kovacic has played for Tuchel. But I think Chelsea's priority and Tuchel's priority will be making sure he is available or giving him the best chance of being available for that Champions League final. Especially given that you know Tuchel said after the Arsenal game that Kante is also managing pain in his Achilles. So Chelsea are a bit stretched in central midfield at the moment. And and so they want to give Kovacic the best possible chance for being fit for the, the game that matters most. But there's no doubt Chelsea have really missed him in the last few games. And if he's not available for the FA Cup final, I'm sure they'll miss him either from the start or off the bench in that one too. Contrasting moods for these two coming into the game. Leicester having won at Old Trafford on Tuesday, 24 hours before Chelsea were beaten by Arsenal. I just wonder, Simon, actually, is there a bit more pressure on Leicester here than Chelsea? Because as has been repeated ever since they they won the semi, they've never actually won the FA Cup. Yeah, I mean, possibly, but I think they'll still go into it as as the underdogs. I think Chelsea will always be the the favourites in this. The pressure's on them uh, following the Arsenal loss. It's one of those, like, who's under most pressure? I'll always say Chelsea in, in most circumstances because it will still be a Chelsea story, win or lose. Uh, if they lose, it will be talk of mini-crisis, is the season falling apart, etc, etc. If they win, it will be glorious triumph. And Leicester will be sort of like the, sub, the side section. 
But Leicester, Leicester, you're right to flag Matt. Like it was a real compare and contrast of 24 hours. Um, they were given an absolute huge uh, boost for their top four hopes. They were the side that were floundering, sort of struggling to reach the finishing line in that race. Um, and then Man United make ten changes because of their fixture list issues. And they win their first game at Old Trafford since 1998. They're going to be on a high because they'll think they're basically top four is is theirs. They've got that extra couple of points on Chelsea now and more importantly, an extra couple of points on the teams chasing. Um, so I think all the I think they'll go to Wembley to go and enjoy themselves, whereas, whereas Chelsea will have a point to prove. Last question on the cup final, Liam. I think we can we can assume that, that most of the players who were rested on on Wednesday against Arsenal will come back into the into the starting eleven. I just wonder about the goalkeeping issue. Do you, do you think he'll go for for Kepper again? I've been started every round so far, or or do you just put Mendy straight back in given the significance of the game and the fact that he's the number one? Well, Tuchel was adamant after the Arsenal game that Kepper will play in that FA Cup final, and I've got no reason to think he'll change his mind because. If you're going to have the, you know, the guts to start Kepper against Manchester City at Wembley in that FA Cup semi, which you would say, at least on paper, is the hardest game Chelsea will have on this run, win or lose, then I think you, there's no reason why you wouldn't play him against Leicester as well. Tuchel has, has, has more broadly always had a policy of having a cup goalkeeper. At Chelsea, I think that is particularly welcome because there are you know the club want to see Kepper given a chance to rebuild his confidence, rebuild some value, and maybe even go into next season, you know, with a fighting chance of re-establishing himself as the number one, as good as as well as Mendy has played. Um, so I, I think he will get a chance to play. I don't think there'll be any drama of him trying to be substituted in extra time for penalties. I think he'll get a full run at it and. Um, and it'll be a big opportunity for him to to try and to, to try and get some get some goodwill and rebuild some trust with Chelsea fans on a on a, in a big moment. Well, whatever happens at Wembley, we will of course react to it in Monday's pod. Next up today is Champions League final time. Chelsea women will look to create history on Sunday when they take on Barcelona in the final of the Women's Champions League at the Gamla Ulibi Stadium in Gothenburg. Joining us now to preview the game is Gemma Davison, who won two WSL titles and an FA Cup as a Chelsea player. Uh, Gemma, you also played in this competition for the Blues. How big of an achievement is it to, to finally reach the final after so many attempts? Do you know what? Fantastic um, to see the club um, finally reach the final. Um, I know it's something that's been a club ambition for a long time and um, to see them reach it now is, is unbelievable. Um, a big statement for the game in this country at the moment. And, um, you know, I think we're all, we're all behind and we want them to win it. Emma Hayes obviously is the mastermind and we're hearing a lot about her this week in, in the build-up to the game. I just wondered if you could tell us what is it Particularly, is there one thing you can put your finger on that, that makes her stand out so much amongst her peers and that makes players who played for her seem to seem to love her so? Um, I think I mean a player that's that's known Emma for a long time, um, since I was about uh, 16 years old. Um, I think what makes Emma um, so good is just she's 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 been in the game a long time now, and um, I think we all know she's she's been in America. She's experienced working over there, working pro league, 
coming back over here and really she's just really grafted and, and really learned from a lot of different experiences and I think she's learned how to work with players I think she understands that people aren't going to be happy all the time but she you know how to manage that and um, just just work with players a, a lot of experience with me working with Emma as uh, she worked she, she knew me as a player she knew how I worked um, you know what my ability was but she, she knew to get the best out of my ability she knew that she had to get to know me as a person and how I work psychologically on the pitch and I think um, I think that's her you know her best trait really is, is she can get the best out of you by getting to know you first. You mentioned how big it is to, to have an English team in, in the final it also feels big to have an English female manager in the final that that feels like something that, that, that doesn't happen too often and that's another thing that makes her stand out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really powerful for the game, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot of talk about, you know, over the years of, you know, it being a, a male-dominated sport and she's really flying the flag for the for the female coaches at the moment and I'm sure it's inspiring, inspiring a lot of uh, females to to get involved in, in more coaching and, you know, and setting the standard. Um, but she's, she's such a strong female presence in the game now. She's confident, she's, she's knowledgeable, she's... She's experienced, and um, I couldn't think of anyone better really to, to, to get take a, you know a team into the final than Emma. In terms of Sunday's game, there'll be lots of Chelsea supporters tuning in for the first time to see the women's team. I think, and lots of them will know plenty about Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby. You've taken most of the headlines this week. Who else should we maybe be looking out for? Who perhaps slips under the radar a bit in this team, if, if such a thing is possible in a team like this. I think it's it's hard to ignore the partnership of, of Kirby and Kerr at the moment. Um, and I think that even if you haven't seen them play, I think you'll notice the partnership straight away in the game um, against Barcelona. But if you're looking at other players, you can't forget G. She's an instrumental in in, in the game at all times. She 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 can she she can change a game, you know, in the flip of a coin and You've got to look at, you know, Sophie Ingle as well. She doesn't put a foot wrong. She goes uh, under the radar, but she's fantastic. And there's been big performances by uh, uh, Anne Katrenberger as well. So she'll definitely be catching eyes, I'm sure. So would you assume then that it'll probably be a three in midfield with, with like a, a harder Kirby-Kerr combination? So, so if it's Ingle and G, then I guess it, it comes down to to Lerpoles or maybe a Cuthbert or a Wright and de- depending on how attacking Chelsea want to be and I guess Lerpoles has got the shirt at the moment so you'd expect her to start Yeah I think she's been uh, fantastic this season actually um, you know especially playing against Chelsea this year I think she's she's so consistent and she, she comes up with some big goals for the team as well and um, she, she's a big player for the team uh, this season uh, everything's consistent she keeps the ball well she's, she's got the great strikes from range she, she's technical she's she's got everything she's been fantastic this year probably one of my favorite players to watch yeah she's been brilliant particularly against uh, our old club Bayern in the semi and um, final question then Gemma is the big one who's going to win do you know what I, I I think it's going to be such a tough game Barcelona have, have been um on form a real big run of form this year um but even even without being biased and wanting an English team to win I, I really think um I, th- I really think Chelsea are going to edge it on Sunday, I think um, I think they've got goals in them left, right, and centre, and they, they've really proved that they can, you know, even from behind, they, they they've got the character, they've got the passion, they've got the belief in themselves now. Um, to, to you know, if they do go a goal behind, I, I still think you, you just there's so much threat in that team at the moment. Um, 
you, you can talk about the, the Kerr and Kirby partnership, but G's coming up with the goods against Bayern uh, when it matters in big moments. They've got a lot of big moment players and you can talk about their attack, but the solid back line as well in Millie Bright um, and Jess Carr obviously making a massive difference. So I, ju- I just think they've got so much belief now. I, I really think they can do it. So I'm going to go for Chelsea. Emma Hayes, the first female coach in 12 years to reach the Champions League final. And Liam, it feels like a, a whole tenure as Chelsea manager in some respects has been been building up to this game. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think she's shied away from that in the way that she's talked about Chelsea's Champions League run this year. Right from the start, both her and you know several Chelsea women players have been saying, we believe this this could be our year. They've invested steadily. They've built this squad, built this squad and so much firepower now, particularly in attack, that especially when you look at the other half of the draw and Leon finally being dethroned, this feels like women's football is ripe for for a changing of the guard at the very top of the European game. And Chelsea have an opportunity not just to win this final, but to maybe try and establish themselves as the new Leon, as we said on this podcast before. I'm sure Emma Hayes will just be thinking about this game, and and uh, you know she 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 was talking about plans D, E, and F for the Bayern Munich semi-final. Um, there might be one for every letter of the alphabet against Barcelona because <laughs> they're they're Spanish champions. They're a very strong team in the in their own right, and they will pose Chelsea some real problems. Um, but I think they probably go into it as favourites because they're now uh, I, I think the best funded team in women's football. Um, they've got a squad that reflects that. They've got a coach that is one of the leading lights of the sport on and off the pitch. They've got all the conditions to win. Now they just have to go out and perform. On Barcelona, by the way, like Chelsea, wrapped up the league title last weekend with eight games to spare. They've won all 26 of their league matches so far. Since they were beaten in the semi by Wolfsburg last season, they've won 35, drawn two and lost one of 38, scoring 166 goals and conceding 13. The one defeat, excluding a Super Cup shootout loss to Atletico, was 2-1 at City in the quarterfinals when they were already 3-0 up from the first leg. They're pretty scary statistics, Simon, but I think what, what might be in Chelsea's favour is that they've had big games of their own recently. You know, in the domestic league, obviously, they win most games quite comfortably, but they had that match away at Manchester City a couple of weeks ago, either side of the two games against Bayern Munich, and Wolfsburg in the quarterfinal was at a really high level of competition as well. So it's not like they're going into to um, Sunday's match having you know just beaten Reading 5-0 and beaten Aston Villa and, and teams at the bottom of the WSL they're not it's not a massive step up in competition from what they've been used to well firstly Matt I thought you were setting me up for me to do another sort of Grim Reaper-esque it's all over <laughs> <laughs> with all those Barcelona stats I thought oh here I am for act two uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's all over. They've got no chance. No, um, no, you're right to to flag, to flag the big games that they've had recently. Um, nothing sort of breeds confidence for what is the biggest game more than the knowledge that you've been there and done it so often, so many times. Um, that you look around that dressing room and know you've been for most of the season um, as they were in the league. They went on a 33 game unbeaten run which obviously included last season as well. Um, their last defeat in the league was in, in February. Um, they only lost the first leg narrowly against Bayern. This team has proved time and time again 
that they're really, really hard to beat and they win when it matters. And I think that is that is going to be huge. I think it's it's also going to be really nice for them to send a message to the men's team. You know, follow that. Um, and wouldn't it be great if, if Chelsea become the first team, the first club rather, to pick up the women's and men's Champions League trophies? It would be a remarkable way for, for this season to end. Certainly would. Matt, I wanted to briefly jump in and ask you mm. a question about the women's sure. because you're you're more plugged into the women's team, I think, than either of us in terms of watching games live regularly. And you, I know you're doing comms on the final. So, what are you expecting from the game? I am expecting uh, that Chelsea will win. I think it will be extremely tight. I think what is is big in in Chelsea's favour, uh, Barcelona have got. It plays injured and suspended for the final, and it's only Marin Mielder really missing for Chelsea would have would have started. So Jess Carter's come in and done really well for her, but but there's potentially a fallback issue there in, in that Mielder would be uh, your preferred starter, and then left side Neve Charles has kind of been preferred to Jonna Anderson, and, and that would be something of a risk because Charles is is really a, an attack minded midfielder rather than a defender. So there's there's potential for for some drama there. But what I think is is big is having Magda Eriksson back and fit. And we saw that in the second leg against Bayern right at the end, you know, got heroic goal line clearances, but it's just a, her organisation. You know, Chelsea conceded twice against Bayern in the first leg. And, and I don't think at least one of those goals happens if um, if Eriksson's on the pitch. So, so her and Bright have been fantastic together. The kind of unsung version of Kerr and Kirby, really so critical to that team. And, and of course, Chelsea have got arguably one of certainly one of the top two in Emma Hayes' opinion, best goalkeepers in the women's game. And if this game goes into extra time and maybe even penalties, that could be crucial. You know, we saw Berger save two penalties in, in one game against Atletico earlier in the competition. So that would work in Chelsea's favour too. But yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna be anything other than a really, really tight game, I don't think, um, and a nervy one as well. Kicks off at 8 o'clock UK time Sunday, free to air on BT Sport in the UK as well. Uh, we will, of course, react to that in Monday's pod. Uh, right, that's just about it for today's bonus show. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Liam, I'm guessing it's all about the build-up to the cup final for the next few days. Yeah, so I mean, I've got my uh, Billy Gilmore piece up on site, you know, hooked off the game against Arsenal, but really about what's next for him. Um, and then aside from that, as you say, it's it, it's about the FA Cup final build-up and I'll, I'll be covering the game. I won't actually be at Wembley. I know I said on, on the podcast on Monday I would be. I, I lost the decisive coin toss to Rob Tanner, uh, our Leicester reporter, because we were only given one media pass for the game. But I've seen Chelsea win the FA Cup at a full Wembley, so I'll be, I'll be covering that off the TV nonetheless. Uh, Simon, how about you? Um on the day of the final, I, I've I've done like a, a bit like the pod, really, sort of a reflective look at at cup finals, but that the Chelsea have won, but but also sort of put it into context where Chelsea were at, at the time, and it's quite interesting actually. If you if you go through all the victories, you sort of realise that winning it doesn't tend to lead to long term. Mind you, you could say that about all Chelsea managers anyway. But it doesn't tend to lead to long term vigils. <laughs> They're soon gone, you know. Um, and I've also made the point a little bit that it's a little bit sad actually that this game is kind of normally the cup final is there's a whole week long build up and and it's kind of been it's gone under the radar a little bit I think because it's sandwiched between key games in the Premier League for Chelsea in the top four race 
course, the Champions League, everyone's buzzing about that. The fact there's Premier League games going on before and after the cup final, I, I never like that. I, th- I just think it's wrong. Um, yeah, I just sort of made that point a little bit. It's a bit sad, but hopefully Chelsea do win. Um, and then, of course, a piece that I wrote early in the week, which perhaps, I don't know whether it's good timing now or not, given the way he came on and played, but I, I wrote a piece about Callum Hudson-Odoi looking into his situation, um, why he's not played that many minutes and and perhaps, unfortunately, <laughs> he won't get many more minutes uh, after what happened against Arsenal. But yeah, that's another piece that, that's been up for a couple of days now. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up if you're not currently a subscriber. Uh, that'll just about do it for today then. Many thanks to Dom, to Liam, to Simon and to producer Lucy. Mainly to you though, listener. Join us again on Monday when hopefully we'll be celebrating an FA Cup final win. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. 'Hello listener, it's Matt again here. Wouldn't you know it, just moments after we'd finished recording, it was confirmed that the Champions League final will take place in Portugal and that 6,000 supporters from each club will be permitted to attend the game. At the end of this month, has been moved from Turkey to Porto because of coronavirus restrictions. Portugal on England's green list, so players and supporters can attend without having to quarantine on their return home. The Athletic.